Okay, we're not gonna do ads right at the top, so don't skip if you're an ad skipper. I wanna talk to you about some stuff because this is a monumental episode. One, we have Robert Icke Aubrey Lowe on the show, somebody I've been wanting to have on the show for a really long time, and it's finally worked out, and it worked at the perfect time. And I'll talk about that in a moment. Another reason it's monumental, um, I do have a new sponsor, and it's kind of funny, um, but it's also pretty awesome, but I'm gonna talk about that later. Um, But finally, the final reason this is such a big deal for me is uh, my module is finally announced. We're announcing it this week, and it will be on sale next week. After Later Audio and Podular Modcast present the Bleep Bloop 2000. And I'm going to tell you all about what that is here, but I kind of want to tell the story first. You may have heard it um, if you've been following the show for a while and you're in the Discord and the Patreon. But for those of you who don't know, a few years ago for my birthday, a friend of mine named Jenny, she took one of my pod mod blanks and she flipped it around and she made this stupid design, this hilarious design of me um, and she she put this dumb picture of me and put uh, all these switches and knobs in really funny places and she called it the bleep bloop and she named all the knobs these funny things and so I had this fake module for a couple years sitting in my rack and uh, Jenny kept telling me she wants to make it something real and then as I started hanging out with Lenny and started working with Lenny over at After Later Audio he kept telling me you know we could make that into a real module and I was like there's no way anybody would want my dumb face and a splarf switch. If you've seen it, you know what the splarf switch is. Um, nobody's gonna want that. And you, and you know, it was just kind of like kept coming up. And then he's like, "Well, if you want to do it, think about what you'd want it to be." <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he kind of he kind of talked me into having the confidence to do it. And now we have this what I thought was gonna be a joke, but is actually a pretty fun module. Um, so let me let me explain to you what it is. Basically, the Bleep Bloop 2000, or BB2K as I like to call it, is a four-voice oscillator. Um, All four voices come out of one output. You have CV control over the frequency of each one of these oscillators. However, it does not track one volt per octave, and that's on purpose because I want this to be more experimental and weird. What's really cool is these oscillators all go into LFO range, so about uh, t- noon or 12 o'clock and below, you'll start getting into LFO range, so it can be a really fun um, control voltage source. There's a VCA built into it, so you can pop an envelope into it to control the output. And then there are uh, three different waveforms that you can choose from, um, and two banks of waveforms that you can. So there's a crossfader, so you can crossfade between sines and triangles, or sines, triangles, and square waves, depending on where this uh, splarf switch is. And then there's CV control over that uh, crossfade. Um, so yeah, that's it in a nutshell. What you're hearing right now below me is uh, me controlling the Bleep Bloop 2000. I'm using my Dofer 3D joystick to control a lot of the pitches. Um, I'm sending it through the boundary, the new uh, Schlappy Engineering control voltage source slash VCA. Can't recommend that enough. Um, I'm also sending it into a morphogene and um, kind of got a half of a recorded little bit of this in a morphogene and then what I'm actually playing and that's going into the Empress Euro Bureau and if you remember last week I talked about my patch that I built on it called Sargoni Weaver <laughs> I'm actually processing what I'm playing through that as well and using some of that control voltage uh, out 
to um, even go into back into the bleep loop. So as you can hear, you can make some pretty fun, dark, droney weirdness. So yeah, let's just listen to some of this dark, droney weirdness for a few moments and then uh, get this episode started. modules from a bunch of different companies, but, uh, uh, I only have to pay shipping a bunch of times, uh, but if I, I, but I'm looking at all my shopping carts on all my different module, modular manufacturer websites, and I'm seeing, uh, I can buy a whole module with the, sh- the price of shipping here. Um, I don't know what to do. Has this ever happened to you? Have you ever not wanted to pay shipping a bunch of times? Well, here is the solution. Head over to patchworks.com, that's P-A-T-C-H-W-E-R-K-S.com, and you can get a bunch of different stuff from a bunch of different manufacturers, and then you can only only have to pay shipping once. How did you never think of that before? They carry brands like Make Noise, Dopeful, After Later Audio, WMD, Novation, Arturia, Electron, I mean, they got it all. They even got all the stuff that you need to make sure all your different types of devices are talking to each other. So, so what are you waiting for? Get over to patchworks.com. That's P-A-T-C-H-W-E-R-K-S.com. Hello and welcome back to Podular Modcast. My name is Tim Held, and as I said earlier, we have Robert Ike Aubrey Lowe on the show. That is a huge deal for me for a number of reasons. One of those reasons is uh, Robert is, he's been one of the most influential artists on uh, my approach to uh, music, I'd say, since I got into Modular. Um, I'm just a huge fan of everything he does, from the stuff with Ohm to his own stuff to uh, his soundtrack stuff. I also think it's um, pretty pretty amazing that he did this Candyman soundtrack. I watched the movie last night. It is an amazing film, and uh, this soundtrack is so, so incredibly good. Um, I think it's going to go down in history as uh, one of the better ones of, of this, this time, whatever this time is. You, you, you define it. I'll, it's up to you because I'll, I'll stand by it. You say the last 10 years? Yeah. Say the last 20 years. Yep. So, yeah, we're going to get into our conversation with Robert here in a moment. But before we do that, I just want to say thank you to everybody who supports me on Patreon. I'm going to do a deep dive on this week's uh, Patreon bonus episode with not only the Bleep Bloop 2000, but also the Dirty Laundry, uh, a new destructive harmonics generator module from After Later Audio that I think is pretty special. Um, so, yeah. If you would like to help keep the LEDs blinking over here at Podular Modcast, head over to patreon.com forward slash Podular Modcast. All right, 
That's enough with this intro. Let's get into this chat with Robert Ike Aubrey Lowe. We're going, and uh, yeah, Robert, I'm just so excited to have you on. Yeah, um, thanks for having me. Yeah, I've been a fan for a long time, and you've got, I say this quite often, but it's, it's, it's especially true today. It's, it's, there's no way we're going to cover everything. I feel right. like I want to go in a bunch of different directions, but you've got, uh, you're very prolific, and you've, you've, You've touched a lot of areas of, of not even just music, I would just say, you know, like just artistic expression. So mm. um, I, I definitely want to get to some of that stuff, but I'd kind of like to just get your musical life story, if you will, sure. and, and kind of your interpretation of whatever that question is. But as far back as you can remember, I, I, like, to, I like to mine for these moments when somebody goes from the listener to the the uh, the participant. I see. You know, like. Um. Okay. Let's see. Uh. I mean, I started appreciating music when I was quite young. Um. A lot of that was down to going through my father's record collection. You know, listening to a lot of uh, jazz and classical music that he had. Um, R and B soul music um, and yeah it was something that I was I was always I was always interested in sound um, that became more defined uh, well first off the uh, yeah no 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 uh, I think that became more defined uh, in my early teens um, I, I was introduced to uh, punk music and mm -hmm. specifically Bad Brains. Bad Brains was the first group I heard that was sort of the other. It was, it was outside of the, the, the landscape of, of the things that I had, had understood as, as music, you know, up until mm -hmm. that point. And, uh, yeah, it was sort of off to the races from there. Um, and I was always very curious about different types of sound. Um, you know, I, I was listening to a lot of uh, 20th century music in my teens, you know, listening to punk records. I was listening to Black Flag and Bad Brains, but also listening to Ervo Pair and Diamanda Galas. And then more extreme music like Naked City. Um, and that was my first introduction to to uh, I from Boredoms, and then discovering music from groups like Boredoms and things like that. Um, I started playing music in bands when I was 14 years old, um, and. Growing up in Kansas City, Kansas City was a weird place and was really a cultural hub. There's a lot happening there, and I had the good fortune of finding myself involved with people that were really left field um, mm -hmm. and and had a, a much wider and open palette, and I had the opportunity to experience a lot of 
different types of music and art at a, at a younger age um, and things that I was compelled by and really I reson resonated with me. So that's, that's where it started. Um, so c community was a huge aspect of it, it sounds like. It was. I was a, I was a part of a group of people as collective when I was in my late teens that did a, uh, an all-ages venue. So we were booking a lot of shows from a lot of different groups. I remember, uh, it's funny, I wasn't there because I was there basically seven days a week because we did shows all the time and there was one show that I wanted to go to but I was too tired after work to go and it was uh, Nick Turner's Hawkwind with Sleep opening. At oh my a, gosh. At a, <laughs> That's at like a, a prog rock dream. <laughs> at a tiny DIY venue in, in Kansas City in 1992 and I think there were probably like 20 people there. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, that's so cool! I mean, that's a cool show. That sucks you missed it. Yeah, <laughs> maybe maybe so, it was nice. So you were kind of like, yeah. So you're finding, I I kind of like my 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 similar story is I lived in this like we had a we had a a pop station, a classic rock station, and country station, mm -hmm. and that's you know, and then I only saw MTV at friends' houses. So like my, what was coming to me. You know, what I could actually get my hands on musically was very limited. Mm -hmm. And it was, uh, you know, it's always the, an older sister or older brother of a friend yeah. who introduces you to, and that's, you know, descendants and misfits. And that, that's, the, that's kind of the thing that cracked my head open like that. So that's, I'm, glad, I'm happy to hear you found these people to kind of like, you know, show you this, this kind of out, like left field stuff, like you mentioned. Because yeah. um, I imagine a lot of this stuff was pretty mainstream in your direct surroundings in, in Kansas City? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, there, were, there was a big, there was a pretty big scene. Well, I, I say pretty big, not really. I mean, it was, there was a scene there. And, you know, there were a lot of groups who, there's, you know, still to this day, a lot of people don't know about, like, Drowning Incident or Mudhead. Uh, Mudhead was a group that Archer Pruitt was in, who uh, most oh, cool. people know from the Sea and Cake, um, mm -hmm. and it was the the group that he was in before he formed the Cocktails, um, uh, and let's see what else, uh, like the grindcore band Order from Chaos or uh, Industrial Act Trust Obey, um, Germbox. Uh, there were a lot of there were a lot of weird groups um, that were based in Kansas City, and then even older groups. You know, I'm I'm 46 now, so that uh, the that awakening happened. You know, around 90, 91, 92 for me, and you know there were groups from uh, you know I I grew up in. Kansas City, Missouri, which is, um, you know, the, the metropolitan area. Um, and then if you go across the state line into Kansas, you know, to a town like, I think, either Wichita or Manhattan, Kansas, you know, that group, The Embarrassment, was from there, uh, from Kansas okay. in the mid-'80s. Um, so there was, a, there was a lot of weird stuff um, that happened there. Um, Sin City Disciples, which is another one. Um, 
so there, there was there was definitely a, a healthy scene where people were doing sometimes fairly disparate things, but there was a community and, and people were supporting uh-huh. each other, and that was really important. Um, but yeah, yeah, it seems like I feel like I don't know. It's I, I like I I like it kind of like we have this in in Seattle now with our modular scene like you can make so many different types of modular music to where you know one person's doing techno and the other person's doing harsh noise but we're all this part of the same thing which is just like it's really the community aspect and I feel like that is just such a fertile ground for um, creativity and exploration um, yeah and oh absolutely it sounds like that definitely worked worked that way for you. Um, what instruments were you playing like early on? Did you start with guitar or uh, bass, bass, electric bass, bass? And, and singing is what I did uh, for a okay. long time. Um, and, you know, also played around with trumpets and saxophones. I didn't know how to play them. I'm, I have no training in any <laughs> instrument whatsoever. I was never really took lessons. Um, I took a couple lessons from this fellow called Hurley Dennis, who was a, a jazz player when I first started to play the bass just to figure out how to hold it. Um, right. But that didn't go very far. I, you know, once I had that understanding, I really wanted to try to figure out how to utilize and play the instrument in my own way. And that's kind of how I've, uh, that kind of pushed the boat out for any type, any type of, of, uh, musical endeavor or like instrument uh that i would play or fiddle around with okay yeah it seems like that's been kind of a through line of a lot of the stuff you do and i think Mm -hmm. you you mentioned that in a super booth talk just kind of the like um at at one point there was there was no lessons to be had because it was just exploration and those people explored enough to create rules and 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 lessons out of so you're you're kind of a proponent of trying to do that yourself to find new ways of, ex- of expressing yourself on things. yeah i think yeah. i think uh, the, the idea of cultivating one's own technique is something that's um pretty great and i think you can find so many different ways in if you don't play by the rules and uh, you know the the mm-hmm. the uh, those traditions are there and it's fine and i have no problem with them um and obviously i like you know the the result of those traditions um but at the same time for me it was far more interesting to be able to sort of carve out my own path and figure out how i wanted to make creative work and i was more compelled by the, the 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 concept of of exploring a thing um, in a way that it was maybe not meant to be explored, because then you have all of these different considerations that may not have come up if you were uh, developing work in a traditional way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I'm always wrestling with this kind of. Uh, I've always approached things like this. Um, you know, I, I like to try new instruments and I, you know, I've had people, you know, friends say, you could learn music theory in 10 minutes. And I'm like, nah, I, I, I don't, it's never really interested Uh-oh. me. And part of me is always, 
agreed with this this kind of um, this vantage point that you're coming from. But there's always this like this self doubt kind of like I don't know maybe like a devil on my shoulder, um, like oh, accusing me of being lazy or something. <laughs> sorry, I lost you um, right when you said music theory. Nah, everything froze. Uh, <laughs> I think okay, the internet was unstable on my side. I uh, well, I realized before. I don't know how much of you caught of what I was saying, but I was I was basically not even formulating a question. I was kind of like uh, dumping some insecurities I have about my artistic approach out. Um, no, sure, yeah. <laughs> but I think I think what where I I think where I was trying to go with this. I was thinking about this while we were rebooting that. Um, I think it's just it's having people like you out there who you know like who I really admire kind of uh, affirm these suspicions that I had that I kind of came to on my own as a young musician. Um, mm -hmm. It's just, that's really cool. Um, and I, yeah, I guess, I guess that's, that's not a super <laughs> like uh, <laughs> profound thing to say, but that's, that's where my brain went. <laughs> no, that's, that, no, that's great. Thanks. <laughs> um, so I'm curious, like, you know, obviously you're in a you're in a cool scene that that seems like it's very welcoming for exploration and expression. Um, mm -hmm. What's the next step from just kind of tradition? Not I guess not traditional, but like you know punk and and you know you definitely have a presence in like the the palatable side of metal. Um, sure. You know, um, how do you get into kind of experimentation with synthesizers and, 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 you know, your voice through them and stuff? Um, so once I moved to Chicago from Kansas city, um, I started, I was playing in a group called the 90 day men and it was, you know, more leaning into, um, sort of progressive music ideas, I think for, at a certain point. And, um, we liked really experimenting with uh, song structures and then how things were recorded versus how things were played in a live setting and I really enjoyed um, being in that group and, and the, the way that I would approach um, lyrical content and uh, the sort of vocal style that I moved around was having this malleability uh, available with the voice. Um, and I had always been a really uh, big fan of synthesizers. I played uh, early on in that group, I, I played a mono synthesizer a little bit. Um, I had an MS-10 at home that I got from a junk shop for 80 bucks, I remember. <laughs> uh, and um, I, yeah, I always liked the, 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 the sound of synthesizers. I always liked the, the flexibility of, of the synthesizer. And so moving out of that landscape, uh, I started to investigate synthesizers more and less to do with stringed instruments when I started when I started to focus on solo music I was using um, the guitar a lot um, and using it with effects um, 
using tape echoes, um, and all in conjunction with my voice. Uh, it was really important for me at that point when I started to focus on solo endeavors to investigate the human voice because I looked at the voice as an instrument um, and just wanted to be able to explore that and the body, you know, and, and how, um, how the body could be used in conjunction with the voice, uh, the sounds that were possible and the, the, the versatility and the, the singularity of the human voice. Uh, eventually I landed on synthesizers because I, I, I viewed a synthesizer as an instrument that had an amount of variables attached to it that I wasn't finding with other instruments that, that had these more fixed traditions. And eventually with modular synthesizers, that made the most sense to me because the modular synthesizer has such an immense flexibility and along with the, the human voice uh, has uh, such an extension. Um, and and I often would get to this point where I understood that I viewed the modular synthesizer as uh, at one moment uh, an extension of my own body and a, at a, another moment uh, a true collaborator because of the organic uh -huh. nature of, of the things that were available with that instrument. Um, being able to, to move voltage around and have it play in the way that it does and you know at a certain point you have no real control over that which is something that I really enjoyed um, and also gave me a a, a a palette to work from in which I could I could find more complex uh, sonic landscapes definitely yeah mm -hmm. yeah I think that was actually one of the like a lot of people come to modular for a similar reason I think that was a very very like succinct way of explaining like just because mm -hmm. it's you know it's it's easy to say it's just so big and it's so you can do any a lot of people say well you could just do anything with it but, um yeah. i really like that that idea of it being like an ex the extension of the body um and like you know i like i like i'm also very um interested in the physicality you know of the, mm -hmm. the actual participation in it you know yeah. i've been I've been messing around a lot with, you know, what can I, what can I do externally, you know, mm -hmm. from my environment and introduce that into the, the modular, um, you know, yeah. melodicas and thumb pianos. And, um, I yeah. just got a joy, a joystick module, you know, cause I want to, I want to be more active and in, in participate, participant in it, you know, like, yeah. I mean, um, I think, I think, you know, it's, it, it, it is an instrument that uh, I, I think it, sometimes people don't understand it as something that is is truly participatory um because you are you are creating a dialogue you are uh -huh. the the patch cables are these pathways that are creating a dialogue from one module to another and you are a part of that conversation uh -huh. um and i think that you know introducing other instruments into that mix is something that's really great or introducing the voice into that um, 
is really great, but I think that there is always going to be a physicality. You're, you're always, and it's, I think it has, I, I think it's less seen because the, the movements are not as, as, as extreme as mm -hmm. one might think you would need to, to be expressive with an mm -hmm. instrument. Um, you know, because you touch a knob and it will completely change the architecture of the, yeah. the sound that's being made. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you move the thing a millimeter and it, everything is, is, is then different. And I, mm -hmm. I really like that. And I, I really like how, how, how fine a touch can be. And, it, you know, then you're dealing with these concepts of precision, but also, um, uh, you know, you have this this sort of aleatoric process that, that, that comes along with it, which is a, a, a large part of what I do, which is this idea of chance. Um, mm -hmm. You know, this concept of you know uh, rolling the dice, if you will, by you know, engaging in, 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 in very minimal ways that have, could have macro effects on yeah. what's happening. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. I was, I was actually messing with this patch that I have uh, built right now before we started chatting, and I was recording mm -hmm. something, and I was about to flip a switch, but I was like, that might just, like, completely clip, and I'm 10 minutes into this. Like, I, that could either be really cool, or it could kind of, like, make me have to start over and I have to finish this thing today. So it was one of those moments that would, would have been like kind of exciting and I, yeah. and like, you know, like, Oh, I, I wonder what, what, what was I right or wrong about if that would have ruined the recording, but I didn't take the chance because I was like, I don't have enough time to retract this 10 minute long thing that I've liked, you know, nine and a half minutes of it, but I need it to sure. be a little longer, you know, like it's, right. it's just funny to like, to have an instrument like that. And, it's kind of paradoxical because you, with the nature of it being modular, you can, you know, you have specific pieces that have maybe, you know, one or two jobs. So it allows yeah. like what you would, what seemingly complete control. But sure. once you start building this system, it starts taking on its, a mind of its own. And I think it's, I think getting into it, I, I kind of, came into modular around the same time that I started practicing, you know, mindfulness and, and, uh, you know, reading Chogyam Trumpa and stuff like that. And, mm -hmm, and it, there is, mm -hmm. there's some clear parallels along there that are letting go impermanence, yeah. you know, and, mm -hmm. and that's kind of, this was the headspace I was in that made me want to start this show really. Um, Oh, nice. It's just like, I think it's helped me be a better person, <laughs> like being, it, it's helped me be better at being a person with patience and, and expectation and, uh, impermanence and stuff like that. I think, I think those are all very, very important things to wrap your head around. Oh, um, absolutely. I definitely agree with that. And that's great. Yeah. That's fantastic. I think sometimes talking like this though, I, I mentioned my self deprecating side, then, you know, sometimes that, that same side of me is like, you know, okay, put your pinky up and drink a, drink a shot of espresso <laughs> when you say this or something. <laughs> put on a black turtleneck. <laughs> uh, uh, well, you know, one uh, another interesting thing uh, to think about is this is an instrument that allows you to fail. 
mm-hmm. and and I don't think that you know failure is often put in a very uh, negative framework, and I think failure is very important. Um, you garner knowledge from failure, so I think that it's a very it's actually a very positive thing, and this is something that allows you to have an idea, fail at that idea, and then reassess what that thing is. But also, mm-hmm. those, those failures could lead to something that is grander or more complex or more interesting than you would have considered before. So I think that that's something that's really um, excellent. Uh, and that, that, that possibility is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, and I think, I think right there kind of hits on you know, the theme of what I was just talking about is just like recontextualizing things like failure. Like, I think it's very Absolutely. American, you know, it's very American to see failure yeah. as, as negative, but, yeah. but that's what, that's what pra- practice is basically just like failing over and over again until you you know, you stop failing. Um, yeah. and then I think also you touched on like the, the happy accident, which yeah. you could see as failure if you're open to it. And, and for me, I've been open to it enough times where it's led me to maybe a technique or, or a, a path that I want to pursue even further. And yeah, absolutely. I yeah. mean, I think that that's I think that that's something that's, that's age old. I mm-hmm. think mm-hmm. people develop techniques through through these mistakeisms. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I, I think it's quite grand. Yeah. Yeah, the, I remember the first time I, I was, we were just recording like a, a pop punk album, but it was just me and my mm-hmm. best friend in like this loft in a barn in central Washington. You know, we'd, we're just, you know, late 20s guys that were both just recently, you know, heartbroken and we were just drinking and making an album. And, and we, we ended up like stumbling upon a lot of stuff that we're just like, holy shit, we did not intend to do that, but it's way better than anything we could have thought of. And it was just like a really eye opening and, and, cool experience and I think that's what led me out of kind of a more traditional straightforward pop Mm -hmm. centric type of creation Um, because I always felt like I had something in there that was that I couldn't get out through guitar or or writing lyrics about Mm -hmm. breakups or something (laughs) you know I think I yeah you know and it it, it, you know the the process should be ever changing and ever shifting um, an example of a, a a group that I did, like post ninety day man, I was in a group um, called Singer, which was with uh, Ben Vida and Adam Vida and Todd Rittman, um, and it was uh, two of those folks, Todd and Adam, were in the group U.S. Maple, and Ben was in the group Town and Country. Um, so we were all coming from very different places, and we started playing and writing together and we you know we took a very long time and we were very methodical about writing this set of music that we ended up recording and then performing did doing some performances of and then um the second uh recording the second iteration of the group todd had left to start doing something else and it was just ben adam and myself and the way that we made the second record was to uh, uh, rent time at a recording studio, put everything inside, um, 
I had the engineer come in and uh, set up the board, set up the mics, and then sent him home. And then we <laughs> wrote and recorded the record in real time down to lyrical content, um, the instrumentation. We were, we were flipping instruments, um, synthesizers, electric guitar and electric bass, drums and percussion, a lot of voices. And we were able to create a very complex set of music in a very short period of time. And it was just taking it out of the context of the way that, you know, um, you would normally think of a, a group writing and recording a record. And that mm -hmm. was something that was really interesting um, to do. And yeah, it's just like moving moving the process around and giving yourself insight into into these different pathways um, is something that's really fun and interesting and, and expansive. Mhm. Mm yeah. Yeah, how and do you how do you like how long ago is this? That was uh singer was 2008, 2009. Okay. Yeah. So looking back on it with this much distance like how, do you like do you look back on I guess I don't I don't know if this really is in it matters or not but like do you look at the process or the music as separate like the process is being you're more fond of the time you had making it or is it all kind of wrapped up into a one memory or something I think it's it's all in you know yeah uh, mm -hmm. I think uh, every part of the process uh, is exciting yeah um, something yeah that I really like yeah, I think the reason I asked that question is I look back so fondly on this process that I talked about with me and my best friend in a barn, but like, I don't like that music. <laughs> you know? Like, oh, it's just no, kind of didn't it didn't age well, and I'm just like, ugh, you know. No, I I I, I stand behind pretty much anything I've done. Um, yeah, you know, if if I didn't, I wouldn't have made it. I guess that's how I feel, and you know, it's it's. It's just it's all a part of your history. Like you're writing it you're writing a history and you're you're yeah. you're world building. Like you're Yeah, totally. So it's this concept of, of building a world and you know, you don't have to continue to live in that world and, and generally most times it's not as interesting if you decide to continue to live in that world. Um, you know what? That's, you're, you just made me kind of like connect some big dots there. Yeah, because it's not mm. so much the music. Like the music is fine. It's just it's it's catchy pop punk and it, we yeah. did it well. I think it's more of like who I not even who I was, but who I th who I thought I wanted to be at that point. I kind of sure. cringe at. And I think that's what <sighs> makes me kind of cringe about that. That's, I, that's no, interesting. I, I get that. That's yeah. And I think that's understandable. Um, but you know you go through phases and uh i think you know ultimately the 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 work and the time put into making something it speaks for itself yeah and if it's something that you were you were fully engaged with and something that you were compelled to do this thing so yeah that's that's fine and you know like back to our mis you know mistake conversation like i could look at that as you know a mistake or it was actually like where I started getting interested in exploring recording techniques and using synthesizers. Mm -hmm. Like I remember I was starting to do stuff to where I was like, Oh, we have to keep, we have to do this intro for the song and nobody in my band was into it. And that's when I started uh -huh. realizing like, 
I don't belong like this. We're not in the same worlds anymore. You talk about world building. And then I, you know, that's when I got into Ableton and started getting drum machines and Mm -hmm. been doing that for probably seven or eight years. And I still stand by everything that I've made since then. So it's like, I finally felt like I found a way to say what I've want, what I felt like I wanted to say. Um, but this is, yeah, yeah. I think, I think, those things reveal themselves to you over time. You just have to have mm-hmm. patience and understand that, you know, uh, what's the saying? Rome wasn't built in a day. Right. You know, yeah. It's, right. It's, it, it takes time for you to become a fully formed human. And yeah, definitely. That's, that's what you do. You, ju- you take the steps to do that thing and become that person. We'll be back to this chat in a moment, but first I want to tell you that support for Podular Modcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for keeping things nice and tidy down there. Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the 4.0. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with the exclusive offer for you, 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code PODMOD20 at manscaped.com. You know, I have to be honest, for most of my adult life, um, you know, I've resorted to... Uh, you know, my hair trimmers that I use on my head or my beard trimmer. Um, And, you know, it's all the same body, but it's not all the same shape. And that's where the Lawnmower 4.0 comes in. It's it's made for this. It's even got a light on it, which I thought was kind of gimmicky, to be honest at first, but it's very, very useful. And I got to be honest, to break the fourth wall here for a second, it's really hard not to uh, just make a joke every three seconds because... There's just so many, but you know, it's all low hanging fruit. So just be sure to take care of your low hanging fruit with the Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0. And I'll be honest with you, it's not just uh, me who's pretty stoked about this in the Held household. Um, well, you know what? I'll just let her speak for herself. Take it away, Hannah. So, as some of you may know, if you follow Podmon on Instagram, Tim's a pretty hairy dude. I gotta say, since the Lawnmower 4.0 showed up, things have become a lot more manageable here at PodMod headquarters. Another added perk of Tim's new Manscaped regiment are the alluring scents provided by the deodorant and toner spray. I'm a huge fan. Lastly, since Tim was bragging about how great the Lawnmower 4.0 is, I had to take it for a spin myself, and I gotta say, that light feature is a game changer. Game changer. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PODMOD20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code PODMOD20. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Yeah, so I was like listening to just... I kind of did a deep dive the last few days. Uh, I've, I've obviously listened to the Candyman soundtrack a few times, and I want to get mm-hmm. to that. Um, I have now I can't remember the name of the. Cass- I bought a cassette a while ago. I think it's a like a 2016 performance in France, and then the other side. Um, oh yeah, like those are two those different are, performances. Yeah, those are both uh, presentations for the the GRM. Um, okay. One was one was in Paris, and one was in Mexico City. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I was listening to some Ohm, you know, as mm-hmm. well. And it's just like, you know, like you're really covering a lot of sonic ground in the in the, the stuff that you touch. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm just like, 
it seems like that that creative spirit is still very like like longing you know it seems like you're yeah. you're constantly going and that that's just like do you ever sometimes i worry that that's gonna like fizzle out but it, i mean it seems like it hasn't for for me yet and it seems like it definitely hasn't for you and i'm wondering like do you still get find new techniques and are you still like in this kind of ever evolving process and, and finding you know like new ways to explore and express yourself yeah i mean i think it's 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 constantly a, a work in progress that's that's try to how i try to view um anything that i'm doing is mm-hmm. is this concept of a work in progress and that uh can relate to anything it can relate to uh recordings I've done in the past if I wanted to explore that, those particular uh, compositions again I would like to do it in a, in a slightly different way um, I the idea of cultivating a technique I, I think I, I think you can land on something but I, it's always best if you are constantly trying to look forward you know but mm-hmm. you know remaining remaining absolutely present like things have come before things will happen in front of you but it's it's about being present in that moment and i think that is where the things can reveal themselves uh most truly and yeah. um i just I, I i just need a constant of that and and yeah I am always trying to think about things in different ways because it, it's it's I feel it's it's reductive to mine the same territory over and over again. I want to be able to to move around. Yeah, I I I feel the exact same way, and I I I, I ask this question to kind of build build up to this next question, and I'm just kind of curious, like, what is it today? that you're kind of excited about trying or pursuing is there anything that is there anything kind of new that's recently because i imagine coming out of candy man i imagine that had to have been an extremely involved process and take up quite a bit of your time so mm-hmm. like do you do you feel like you were maybe in one spot through this and you have this new avenue you want to explore or uh, i not nah. well I mean, ideas will come to me and things I want to sort of approach um, in ways that have similarities uh, or some sort of familiarity to things that I've done before, but try to address them in different ways. Um, I think, uh, I don't know, with with, with Candyman, I, I, I've, I've been involved with film music for a while and continue to be uh, involved with film and filmmaking and I've since Candyman I've just completed a score for a documentary by um, Yancey Ford uh, called The Color of Care which is now all finished and I am currently in the process of scoring another film that is a, a narrative feature fiction um, that is uh, called Master by a young filmmaker by the name of Mariama Diallo. Okay. Um, and each of those scores I've approached in different ways because the, the, each one has its own story to tell. And 
it's more interesting for me to be able to find a pathway into that particular project, whether it be through um, mood or feel uh, instrumentation. Um, I've used different different core processes or instrumentations in each of these films, um, and that's a good springboard for me to be able okay. to engage something that's that's different for each one as far as uh, film composition is concerned. Um, and yeah, I, I, I don't ever want one thing to sound like the next. I think it will always sound like me because I'm mm-hmm. making it. Yeah. I think that's important to be able to maintain my voice. Um, but I think my voice is multifaceted. I think everyone's voice is multifaceted. Um, yeah. And, you know, not only the actual actual voice of the human, which is, you know, varied and, and multitambral, um, but just in general, the, the, the breadth of, of my work, um, I think, has, has many directions in which it can flow and I, mm-hmm. I never want to think in, in anything in a, in, a, in a linear fashion or a straight line I want to be able to spread out and in every direction and right. try things in different ways so I think it has more to do with that than than currently um, than actually um, trying to, to focus on uh, uh, a new a new form or technique okay well i want to i'm kind of curious about this from the you know like i like to ask people who who compose for film or for tv this this question and um i have a suspicion of what your answer is but do you find the the that you're how do i say this like adequately being like are you adequately adequately able to express yourself when you're scoring because you're you're not just making for the sake of your expression you're making to kind of you know it's more collaborative and you're you're helping to tell a story so you're not necessarily making what you would make had you know if you're not scoring for this um yes and i'll tell you why it's because i only work on projects that i have a true interest in and I only work on projects in which I can actually collaborate with the filmmaker and mm-hmm. there is an actual dialogue that's that's happening and there's a communication back and forth and I'm able to truly collaborate. I love I love collaboration. Um, collaboration allows you once again to consider things in, in ways that you may not have, you know, it's it's mm-hmm. nice to have a, 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 a another brain attached to the thing that you're a part of mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, so I would I have no interest in signing on to do something in which I'm going to be tasked to do something in a specific way that uh, is outside of my purview and that's not to say that I'm, I'm I wouldn't you know write compositions for strings or an orchestra because that stuff is also very interesting to me and I think that I through my voice I could I could uh, 
produce a work that would would be able to convey that. So it has nothing to do with that. It has more to do with this idea of, of being in a situation where I'm uh, uh, work for hire. I mean, it, I mean uh, that is a technical term in that I've had for things, but within the construct of that, I am able to move and work in the way that is most productive uh, for me to be able to, right. to 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 feed into this project and and the, you know the the in in the in terms of film film is not uh, an individual process you know it takes a, a a village to make a film there are so many moving parts there are so many different humans involved with filmmaking uh, that you need to be able to collaborate you need to be able to submit um, and understand that in the best case scenario everyone is moving in the same direction to to make the the, the work itself what it needs to be definitely yeah and i think yeah I, I, that that's a pretty close to what i imagined your answer would be to something like this but i i, I was also wondering like it seems like the people who are coming to you to, mm-hmm. they're, they're asking you to score their film. They're coming to you for a reason because they right. know what they know what you do and they like what you do. Right. Um, so I imagine you're I, I imagine you're in a pretty sweet spot of being able to have like autonomy and creative control to a degree on the to projects degree, yeah. that you are working on that are collaborative because these people mm-hmm. are seeking you out specifically. Right. Yeah. No, that's so. that's absolutely the case. Yeah. That's awesome. That's that's like the dream. That's the dream case. You're you're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that's the. Yeah, I mean, that's the that I. Uh, it is it is work, and I have no problem with work. I love to work, mm-hmm. um, but it's also not. It, it's not a job, if that makes any right. sense. Absolutely, it's that, that's that's very pleasurable for me to do. Oh, you, you, you I, I lost you. Yeah, that's oh. all right. Yeah, no, no, that makes sense, though. It's not, I feel the same way about doing this podcast. It takes up a lot of my time, but mm-hmm. I, I've been doing it for over three years, and I love it, you know, and um, it is work to produce and edit and do all the stuff, but ultimately it's, it's, I never feel like I'm working, really, so. Yeah. Um, okay. So we're, we're 45 minutes, and I definitely want to talk about, like, Candyman specifically um, and just like um, not even maybe not just Candyman but like the process of scoring a movie like this um, you, you'd mentioned it was very collaborative are you getting sent scenes like alright here's a scene and here's a mood or are they just saying like here's a scene do what you will or are you sitting there uh, with the director and doing stuff or okay, what's this so process the process for this one is uh, you know how I would prefer to work. I, I'd like to take time. Um, I would. I like to take a lot of time with 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 work like this, with projects like this, because I feel the more time I have to spend um, working on a film, the more complex and in depth the score will and the sound will be. Mm-hmm. And so 
um, with this and with a couple other films that I've worked on, I've had the ability to come in at a very early stage. So with Candyman, um, I was brought on at the very beginning. Um, and not obviously not at the, the, the script had been written. Um, the, everything was, was sort of in pre-production when, when I was, was brought on. And so because of that, I was able to, I was integrated into the entire process of the film, which, you know, so that's, that's many months. Um, but in that time, I'm able to really craft and sculpt a score that I am most comfortable with and I feel has a complexity that, that really lends itself to and expands the, the world that, it's, that is provided for it. And it, it works in both ways. I want to be able to give an intention, give a proposal that, that has a very clear intention of what I want to do, how I, after I've read the score, I have an understanding of what the story is, and then I have a conversation with the director or the producers and really get a feel for the direction that it will be headed in. I say, okay, so now I'll go back and think about what I would be compelled to do and give a really clear idea of how I want to achieve this um, achieve the, the, the end goal which is the, the, the final score so I had many different considerations on the front end of it you know the fact that this is a legacy film you know uh -huh. um, is big not only does the film itself have a, a, a legacy but the score of the original film has a legacy being that it was a Philip Glass work and it was you know it was it was it was a strange considered maybe a little strange for him to do in the first place mm -hmm. and so having those as considerations out of the gate was one big thing but also to be able to understand what that legacy is and 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 what the the film and the score embodied um and not try to recreate anything that had existed before and you know Nia was on the in the in the same place it's the idea of creating something that lives in the in the universe of that original film but it stands on its own as as a, a singular work mm -hmm. and so yeah. I wanted to be able to make sure that the score did that as well um, and there is one Philip Glass composition that I reimagined for this score, but it was actually the last, the very, very last thing that I, that I did. Mm -hmm. uh, because I wanted to be able to build that world first and, mm -hmm. and have my voice fully integrated into the, the, the larger world, which is the film, and then reinvestigate the music box theme from the original mm -hmm. film and uh, rework it and in my way in my voice and then that lives in 
the world that I've already built. Yeah, if that track didn't say Philip Glass in parentheses on it, you know, and you didn't know that that was the from the original, like you wouldn't you wouldn't say, oh, this one doesn't seem to fit. So that was a really really like yeah. sharp way of approaching that because mm-hmm. it's like got that roadsy kind of that sound on it. Yeah. Um, um, I'm curious too. Like, was it? I, I I well, was there any pressure? Like, not not from like external but like any internal pressure and like because it seems like this this movie has something to say it seems very very um what's the word i'm looking for uh i'm blanking on this word um like a just a direct commentary yeah exactly yeah Yeah. and it seems very like a commentary that we need right now because the commentary we shouldn't need at this point but we find ourselves still needing yeah absolutely um um, did you feel any i mean well i guess what was the emotion to that aspect of it because i'm sure you had to have been thinking of that at some point during the i mean i was yeah absolutely i was definitely emotionally invested in that you know those were uh other other parts of that intention um were to be able to address these concept of the trauma of black bodies and dread and fear, um, but also not feed into that and not make it something that was very dreadful. I wanted to have something that was nuanced. I wanted to have something that was dynamic and whimsical also at the same time. I wanted to Mm -hmm. be able to play with that emotional landscape and also give more life to the stories of each of these characters that were involved in the film because there is a complexity there's a there's a deep complexity to each of the characters involved the you know the uh, each of them have have their own story that are are um, absolutely tied into the 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 lore uh of the candyman and I wanted to be able to accentuate. And basically, have have the, the the score be a character in the film, be a character mm-hmm. in the landscape of the film, and and create a narrative. Um, and you know, I think most people, when they listen to the this particular score, I don't think they would necessarily think of the term narrative. But I think that this the score does have a, a very discreet narrative in the context of this story. And these are things that, uh, there are a lot of issues within the scope of the story that I have felt as an African-American male um, throughout my life. And so I do have an emotional attachment and I wanted to be able to address those things in a way that was an accompaniment to what was being vocalized throughout uh, the story. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there, there, there was a lot in there. And also I wanted to, to in this concept of world building, I wanted to be able to investigate the 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 Daniel Robitaille character, um, who was you know the first Candyman, and be able to 
sort of in my own way construct a story for me, like basically build build a history for him, thinking about uh, the you know this this American history that that I am uh, very aware of and affects me in a, in a in a very real way, and so that was very important as well. So there were there was a, there was a the, the thought processes were were long and 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 varied throughout, and it was good to be a part of that process so early on because I was able to start constructing that world and give it to Nia. So she had something in her ear. She had that intention already in her ear when she started filming. So the score was influencing the image and the image was influencing the score and it was this back and forth, which was a, you know, this dialogue that went on the entire time. Um, yeah. You know, and ultimately the, 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 at the end of the day, it's her vision, but I think that I was able to construct that world to enhance her vision that was that was my that was my duty in that moment and i i i think i accomplished that i think that just i imagine that's really uncommon in filmmaking but it seems like the best way to make the most um like succinct or cohesive you know piece of have like the fact that you were making music before everything was completely you know like seems like maybe a lot of it's maybe edited before the music comes along um yes mm -hmm. um and just i feel like that just makes things the way you guys did it i haven't seen the film yet but i it's, i'm really looking forward to seeing like if i can pick up on that or you know yeah. like that that just sounds like the ideal way to do it. i mean it, i think that that it is and i'm not opposed to 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 working on a film that has uh been fully realized and is already picture locked it's just that and you know like I said every project is different and I always enjoy the challenge of that of that investigation I always enjoy the challenge of creating the thing that lives in that landscape mm -hmm. um, but I think that you know uh, a few other examples of the thing that I'm talking about um, Hildur uh, who uh, is also a performer on my score for Candyman. When she uh, did the score for Joker, it was the same sort of situation. She had okay. already started to create music uh, that uh, Todd Phillips was listening to, and they were, in, when they were making that movie, they were shooting with, with the, the music in mind. Or, mm -hmm. you know, you go back a couple years before that, even, and with Arrival. Johan and I uh, were in Berlin and, and working on demos, and he had given me, he had, he had been thinking about uh, how he wanted to explore uh, the uh, different concepts for making the, the score for Arrival. And he had in his head, because the, the, the core of the film deals with communication and linguistics, he really wanted to focus on the voice. And I went into the studio with him, and we started to create these demos. And he would he would give me, uh, he would task me with like creating these forms and these figures. And I started doing that, and we started recording all these uh, tape loops. And 
that became those demos actually became a real core of the 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 score itself and the thing that, that okay, is recognizable wow. within that score and that's that's why Denis was also location scouting he hadn't shot anything oh, wow well I have to say I didn't know you were part of that I've, uh, I have Arrival on vinyl I think that's one mm -hmm. of the greatest soundtracks I didn't know you were part of it I I, I love that film but I think sometimes a, a, I feel like a soundtrack is going to outlive a film or, or maybe not outlive but like for me shines like brighter than mm -hmm. I, like watching the movie I listen to the score more often than I watch the movie um, yeah. that's just so cool and that vocal element that makes so much sense now to find out that you were part of that because well what, that was what me you guys, I'm, the, I'm the I'm the that that was your voice yeah. oh really <laughs> yeah, that oh. was just me. Like that's that was so just my, cool. my unprocessed. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. And the, so you were—I imagine you did a lot of the vocals on the the Candyman stuff too, because there's some really, yeah. really great vocals on that. Um, yeah, it's it's a uh, uh, majority of it is my voice, and then uh, Hildur uh, did some voice with me, and so there are certain. There's certain moments in a couple different compositions where you hear both of the voices, and I really wanted her to be involved because I wanted to have another voice that was paired with mine, and we've done so much mm -hmm. vocal work together over the years that I knew immediately that that would, that would be really easy. And we already have uh, a way of working in a, in, a, in a vocabulary in which we can work very easily together and, mm -hmm. you know, communicate very little and and get a much larger result so but yeah the the almost almost all of the voice in the in the score for Candyman is just my voice wow that first track what I, I started listening to it um and as that opened and all those vocals came in I I like I cracked a smile and I was like okay this is I know what it's a it's a great like uh table setter for what you're getting into um awesome. it's very very big and very emotional um I sent I sent the the YouTube mix link to a friend of mine who's a real film buff and I was like, you just put on your headphones you have to listen to this. Um, he's in Estonia <laughs> right now too, like exploring like these really great landscapes. So I'm like, you should listen oh, to wow. this while you're walking around out there. Um, oh, that's great. You filmed out there, right? For uh, yeah, a spell to ward off the darkness. Yeah, we yeah, filmed on, yeah, yeah. Uh, on Vormsey Island, which is in the Baltic Sea, just off the west coast. Is that right? Off the coast of Estonia. I don't remember. Okay. Yeah, my friend's sister lives out there, and he keeps trying to get us to go out. And I'm like, yeah, that looks that looks like an awesome place to go. Um, I like Estonia, yeah. I feel like we could, I could ask you a million more questions, but we're already over an hour, and I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Um, sure. But I'm just kind of curious, like, what kind of, like, what was the gear used on this? Like, was there much modular? I mean, definitely a lot of voice. Um, mm -hmm. There was uh, a fair amount of modular synthesis. It was, it, you know, it's an electroacoustic score, so there was voice, there was modular synthesizer, cello, contrabass, um, and a few different, like, bowed, bowed metal instruments, um, uh, bowed tempora. Um, but there is, there is a, a, a lot of modular synthesizer like woven in and uh there were certain modules that i definitely leaned into um one that uh was really great 
um, for sort of physical modeling these uh, uh, string uh, sounds that you would hear, like this sort of cluster of of uh, strings. It was actually the the, the Misteron from Make Noise, which is a discontinued oh. module. I use mm-hmm. I use that module a lot. That's one of my favorite all-time modules because I've been able to really really manipulate that thing in a way that that produces such lovely sound and not what you would expect out of it on its face um there are these sort of um the composition uh joke summoning in the score which is inside of the if you when you see the movie it's inside of the this art gallery during an uh, exhibition opening and the the sort of plinky almost uh harpsichordy sound was like these little short sharp movements with the mister on and then i was processing that through the morphogene i was using the morphogene a lot uh, i was using the mister on a lot i used odessa from chaos devices mm-hmm. Yeah. XAOC quite a lot because that's a really incredible uh, instrument. Um, I'm trying to think of what else I used. Um, a lot of low-pass gates I used Optimix yeah. quite a bit and LXD. Um, oh, now I'm trying to remember back to what... <laughs> I was using. I used the herb verb quite a bit. Um, Were you using the herb verb on your voice? Uh, I was wondering no. if I was... Actually, no? okay. I didn't use the herb verb on the voice at all. Okay. Uh, the mimeophone, the mimeophone I used quite a lot. I, u- I was doing a lot with, uh, with um, delay feedback. Okay, um, okay. And... and, and processing uh delay feedback uh and like equalizing delay feedback and like having these weird undulations that were happening okay yeah um yeah mimeophone so, would be great for that i imagine yeah mimeophone uh, mimeophone herb verb mr on odessa um what else did i say morphogene uh, oh i used morphogene um the soundstage from Wrong Electronics. Oh yeah, um, yeah. That's that, like that spatial mixer is mm-hmm. I used quite, quite a lot. Um, low pass gates. Um, what other things did I use? Uh, I definitely used more than than just make noise modules. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but those, I mean, the, those those were really core core modules in the in the process um oh uh i used the uh dual digital shift register from oh, yeah, the industries quite a lot that's one of that's also one of my favorite modules that's a really it's, cool module it's excellent it's so yeah. so nice um yeah what else Oh God! Now I'm blanking. Uh, <laughs> I feel terrible. I feel like I should should be talking more about like some of these modules that I used. Um, I'm just gonna quickly roll through all of the compositions to remember what was what. <laughs> um, 
still coming up blank. But those those were definitely all core. Yeah. Instruments. I um, have mimeophone, morphogene, and then I've got the Kamaniac from Chaos. Have you messed with yeah. that? That phaser. It's, That's a good phaser. It's insane. I love it. I mean, I think this this stuff that 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 Chaos Devices makes is is also it's really fantastic. They make mm-hmm. really stunning stuff. Um, did I? What did I use? Um, oh man, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> I should. Um, uh, I'm I'm blanking on a track that I wanted to ask you about specifically, so I'm going to look what that one's called while you're sure. thinking. Oh, Rose and Towers. That that track is all voice. Every yeah, bit of I, that is voice. Okay. I, now, I could tell that you were doing a lot of vocal processing, and I was like, what is he using to process vocals on this? Like, I actually wasn't doing a lot of... Well, so uh, the, I, the processing that I did was um, there's a bit of echo and a bit of reverb, but the register of the voice, that's, unpro- that's all me. Okay. It's the the sort of low pushes and the, uh-huh. the the high more active voices. That's just me layering my voice. That's just me okay. doing a bunch of voices. All right. Actually, it sounds used... like spectrally smeared or something. Yeah. No. I uh, I, I think it's uh, the 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 quality of the voices, um, and it's just the way that I produce it out of my body. Um, uh-huh. I was using. I do remember I was using the 4MS dual looping delay to create the loops. Mm. Uh-huh. Um, so I was doing, I was using that, so I was creating the loops with the voice, and then at the end I was running it through, uh, maybe I wasn't using it, I was using that as the delay as a, a looper, um, and I was also like going, like, using both sides. I was using A and B and flipping mm-hmm. back and forth from holding and releasing um, uh-huh. in the stereo field. And then there was a bit of reverb at the end, but maybe that was it as far as processing all those wow. voices. And the sort okay. of long like woodwind sound like that, mm. that's, just, that's just me naturally. That's so um, cool. <laughs> with a bit of reverb on it. Uh-huh. But then the, the, the sort of skittering insect-like buzzing sound that's, that's darting in and out of that composition, that's actually a recording of, I, when I was on set doing field recordings, um, you know, that was also, I guess I should jump back for a second, that was another intention that I, that I explained very early on when, when I was talking to Monkey Paw about what I would want to do in the context of this film. And I wanted to be able to record on set because I wanted to have recordings of the natural sound around um, the locations that were being shot so then that energy would be maintained as textural elements inside of the score. And so I took Mm -hmm. these field recordings and then processed them and then put them in um, just sort of bled them into each of the composition, not each of the comp, but some of the compositions in different ways. So it maintained the energy of that actual space. Um, yeah. While I was doing that on set, I took a couple of the actors aside um, while they were shooting. So 
uh, Coleman, Tiana, and Yaya, I recorded all of their voices and I would prompt them uh, with certain things and I would have them repeated a few times in different ways. So I would have them say Candyman or Be My Victim. Uh-huh. And I took those recordings and then processed them so hard, making them into microsound. Um, so basically granularizing uh-huh. all of those recordings and chopping them up and stretching them out to a point where they were no longer intelligible as a word, nor were they recognizable as a human voice. So all of that skittering is actually the word Candyman that's been <laughs> displaced. And so it maintains uh-huh. the energy of that summoning. Yeah, but right, at right, the same right. time, you, you, it's, it's completely subliminal. And wow. so, yeah, every, Rosen Towers specifically is top to bottom, all voice. Wow, um, that is so that, cool. That's what that composition is. Well, I, I, I'm trying to break the habit of using you know, like language, like my favorite track or something, because, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's not that useful, but that's, that's kind of the standout one for me right now that, that oh, I man. just, Thanks. I think is just so, so cool. Um, yeah, I, I, I know it's, 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 uh, awkward to have somebody just tell you how awesome what they think you do is, but I just, I'm really blown away by the soundtrack. It's, thank you so much. I really appreciate very, it. Very that's, special. That's, yeah. That's great. I'm, I'm glad that, that, you respond to it i'm it's all it's 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 great for me when when the things that i'm compelled to make uh are interesting to other people you know at the end of the day yeah that's not that's not the goal the end of the day is to be able to make something that i am compelled by it i i feel strongly about um but I think it's great. I'm not gonna lie. I think that it's 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 great if if it's something that people respond to, in a in a positive yeah. way. Yeah, I mean but it's almost part of a collaboration in, in itself, kind yeah. of the 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 player listener, you know. Yeah, but also at the same time, I would say that at the end of the day, you know, the the work is not precious. It's something that I will always be proud of. But I, it's something that I make and then I put out in the public sphere, like in so everyone will will take that and interpret as they will and i have no problem with that some people will like it some people won't some people will be indifferent and that's it's 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 okay if that's the case i have i have i'm attached to the thing that i make and i will yeah. always have that attachment and if it's something that doesn't resonate with you that's a, that's okay i'm not yeah. upset at that i don't it's just that you know everybody's different and and yeah. everybody has an opinion and that's mm-hmm. totally fine i have no issue whatsoever with that but it is it i i i it i do enjoy when i can engage with someone who got something out of the work and then we can talk about it i i yeah. have no no problem talking about it or engaging with people about the things that i make awesome so yeah yeah, well, I mean, it's yeah, it's it's definitely something to be very proud of, and I'm just, um, I'm I'm really happy, I'm really happy for you that you got to experience this because it sounds like it was uh, very meaningful and um, very just really enjoyable. Um, it was. So yeah, that's it's like heart. It's not to be too cheesy, but it is kind of like heartwarming to hear you tell this the whole story of of how you how you did this. So thanks for sharing yeah. that. Oh um, man, absolutely. I mean, it was it was it was a 
great experience for me because I was able to work with people who were just as excited about the work as I was. And that's like the being best able, feeling. <laughs> oh, it's it's amazing. Being able to work with someone like Nia, who I think is a brilliant filmmaker, and uh, being able to work with the people that I brought into the fold, like Hildur and, and Matthew Mirandi and Randall Dunn, who all worked on the score. And it was a very small group of people. That was that was it. Um, mm-hmm. I did a majority of the the performances of the, the pieces on the score, but also it was really amazing to have uh, someone like Matthew to work with, who's you know an excellent composer and artist in his own right, who has a very particular way of working, but we also, like I was saying, Hilda and I, we have a, a, a language and we have a, we have a vocabulary. I have the same thing with Matthew, and it's, it's so nice and refreshing just to be able to, to step into that landscape. And then also with Monkey Paw, the stuff that they have done historically so far has been pretty compelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of the projects that they're involved with and uh, having the support of people like that who are making work, having a mutual appreciation across the board is something that's really uh, it's, it's really excellent and I think people want to strive for the best thing that they can possibly make and yeah. Ian, Ian Cooper and Jordan Peele and Wynn Rosenfeld who all run that production company were all amazing and we're all everybody was in, involved and, and working and pushing forward to make the thing what it is yeah yeah, I think uh, I think Get Out just kind of was such a pivotal like film, and like really mm-hmm. started re- mm-hmm. reshaping a lot of what you could do with horror as a genre, and like yeah. combining it with like, I mean, I think there's always been a little social commentary in there, but like, just it's, I feel like it's really taken it out of like the cheese like horror can be cheesy you know and sure, i feel like yeah. this has made it like into serious film which is my honestly my favorite my favorite films are like well-made horror films but mm-hmm. there's just not a whole lot of them it seems like you know? right so yeah but you know and it's also interesting because nia, nia da costa has a has a very different voice but one mm-hmm. that is just as strong and so being able to work with her and see how she worked. And it was also one of the things that I wanted in, in being able to be on location and be on set. I wanted to see how she worked in real time. And that was a real pleasure to be around, to be able to watch her work and to see her process. And then mm-hmm. later on, after everything was shot and it was in post, I went to Los Angeles and worked with Nia and uh, Katrine uh, uh, Hitstrom, who the, was the editor on the film. And we worked in the same post house. And so I was in one room, they were in another room. So I was working on compositional ideas and I would walk down the hall and then we would ha- listen to it and have a conversation about it. And I did that for like oh a week. God. And that was a really interesting way of working because we were working actually in real time, which was really mm-hmm. nice. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, that's something that I, I was luckily able to, to be able to experience. And I don't expect that that's something that would be normal in any by any stretch of the imagination, but it's 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 always nice to have these little moments inside of a larger project to 
be able to think about and communicate and reflect on things. And uh, yeah, that was just, that's it. That's, it was, it was really nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, I don't want to take any more of it. I really appreciate this. Um, but the, there's two more things we have to do. I want to ask you, I like to ask everybody, okay. is there anything that we haven't covered or anything that you would like to shout from the modular mountaintops? Um, no, I think, <laughs> I think everything's been covered and, uh, yeah, I have nothing, nothing specific. <laughs> All right, here's Bosnian Lampshade from Robert Ike Abilo.
All right, that's our episode. I want to thank Robert for coming on uh, the show. It was really, really awesome to finally get to meet and talk with him. And to be honest, a lot of the stuff that we talked about has stuck with me since the interview. And I've been thinking a lot about um, just like letting go of some of my insecurities about my approach to music. And uh, I've been feeling very inspired lately. So yeah, thank you for that, Robert. Um, I also want to say thank you to everybody who supports me on Patreon. If you'd like to help keep the LEDs blinking over here on PodMod, head over to patreon.com forward slash modcast. We're going to be doing some deep dives on these new modules from After Later Audio on the Patreon bonus episode. Um, we got the Bleep Bloop 2000 and the Dirty Laundry, which we have announced this week. They will be on sale next Monday. Um, and the Bleep Bloop is actually going to be a limited run. There's only a hundred of them. And I'm not sure that we're going to make more. So if you want one, get on it. I'd also like to say thank you to Patchworks, our lovely synth shop here in the Northwest, for their continued support of the show. Also, Needham Woodworks. If you want the finest Euro rat case in the land, then look no further than NeedhamWoodworks.com. Um, and then, yeah, finally, thank you to Manscaped, the new sponsor. Don't forget to enter code PODMOD20 at checkout uh, at manscaped.com for 20% off any of their great products. I think that's it for this week. Um, well, actually, we're going to do a little, little bonus stuff here. All right, that's our episode, um, but... Uh, I'm not done. The episode's done, but I'm, I'm not going to leave you without hearing a little bit of this dirty laundry. Um, so what I'm going to do right now is going to be kind of like a taste of the uh, the Patreon bonus episodes. I'm just going to jam on this uh, dirty laundry for a minute. Just for reference, um, that right there is what's going into it. Right now I've got the bleep bloop going into the dirty laundry, and I've only got one oscillator. Um turned up the rest are in lfo mode so you won't really hear them i can i can turn them up individually which i'm going to do in a moment but i just want you to know that this is all that's going into the dirty laundry i'm using both wave folders um and i'm using some pretty cool cv from the boundary and from the, the dope for joystick and that's it so i'm using three cv sources one audio source and i'm going to put it through uh the mimeophone just for good measure so I mean, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten patch cables. Um, so let's jam. I want you to check this out. I really like this dirty laundry. It's, uh, I think it's my favorite thing that uh, Lenny has designed.
All right. Once again, thank you so much for coming back to Podular Modcast. Until next week.